0: Hello, and welcome to this Energy Risk podcast. I'm Stella Farrington, Head of Content for Energy Risk. So it's been two months now since the event for day when oil prices went negative. And at this stage, although it's always foolhardy to predict the future of energy prices, but it is looking fairly unlikely that negative prices are going to return anytime soon. However, there's still a lot of questions around that event. People are still talking about that day investigating it and one of the questions that's being most frequently answered is asked rather is were those negative prices an inevitability were they a sign of a properly functioning marketplace or were they the results of something going wrong and what are the implications of that answer going forward so today i'm joined by two veteran energy traders they both now run their own consultancies after having decades of experience trading energy futures and options markets the first is henry lichtenstein he's now the president of brown mac energy which is an energy futures trading and compliance consulting firm based in new york before setting up brown mac energy in 2012 henry led an institutional energy sales desk for New Edge. he's traded oil futures at various wall street firms since 1983 and very importantly for today's discussion, he's had almost 30 years experience of trading crude expiries. So he certainly knows a thing or two about the volatility that quite often occurs in that build up to the end of the the contract. Um, Next we have Brett Friedman, who runs Windhall Risk Analytics, which is a risk management advisory firm that specializes in market and credit risk assessment, and also trade forensics. So for example, He looks into what happens when things blow up and works out what that might mean for company valuations or asset valuations. Brett's also traded power and also traded oil and power options from the 1980s onwards and has held chief risk officer positions including being the CRO for multi-billion dollar hedge fund Osprey Management. So Brett and Henry, welcome to you both.
1: Thank you for having us. Good morning.
0: Could I put the first question to you, Henry? Um, You're both seasoned energy traders, and you've traded through some very volatile times, including two Gulf Wars. Um, Could you give us some context to those events on April the 20th? How did the market compare on that day to some of the chaotic days that you've seen in the past?
2: Well, in many ways, it was the craziest day ever. I mean, the market opened up and quick uh, on the night before at 6 p.m., and quickly made a new 19 and a half year low and contract lows which it had done the previous two days and then continued to sell off all evening until the re- regular market o- hours opening it was trading uh, about 1150, which is uh, in testing range of the you know the 19, uh, uh, 98 lows of 1015 and the 1986 lows of 975 and it quickly dropped to $10. And I started hearing, uh, you know, I was watching the market till 4 a.m. the night before and and early the next morning also. And I started hearing from traders. are you watching this? And, you know, I thought that the market could, if it dropped under 9.75, it would drop to $4, which was the only technical point available. And uh, it was trading there when the CME announced suddenly that the market could go negative, which was a shock to everyone. And became a self-fulfilling prophecy. The prices quickly dropped towards a penny and then moved negative. And in the last 15 minutes of the market, it traded down to from $18 to $40, which is uh, pretty spectacular after, a, you know, a, a 17 something, 17, 1773, uh, 1827 closed the day before.
0: Yes. Yeah. So were you aware as you were watching it that you know, in the, in the, even in the day before, that you were witnessing something historic?
2: Well, as a technical analyst, I, I certainly understood, you know, that a market that six weeks earlier was trading over $50 was in a massive bear market and was uh, testing major supports and was breaking them. And so it was already spectacularly bearish before that CME announcement, which was electrifying.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and what for you was the most um, startling thing about it? Was it the quickness with which it, it lost, you know, it, it, it slid, or was it the fact that it went into negative territory? Well,
2: it never occurred to most people who, who were traders who had traded energy that it could go negative. It, it's a non starter, it never something you'd never think about. I mean, if you were short and it was trading. $4. It's like, how much do you want to press the short side? How, what, what more do you have to gain? It's not like minus $40 was in anybody's, you know, thinking as a possibility.
0: And um, Brett, can I ask you for your thoughts on that day? And um, how well do you think the oil futures market held up as a, as a place to manage risk on that particular period? <laughs>
1: that's, a, that's, <clears throat> that's a great question, but, you know, evidently not very well. I mean, I, I've managed risk at various uh, hedge funds and using various asset classes, and I could tell you that managing risk effectively requires an orderly and well-functioning market in which I can execute, a, a market that I can depend upon uh, just in common parlance not to do anything crazy or unexpected uh, you know, within limits. I mean, intraday volatility of greater than of 50 bucks from high to low crude that day isn't exactly conducive to hedging or trading in any sort of reliable predictable fashion uh for, further if i was managing uh, risk using options or i had an option book the revelation that prices could go negative suddenly cast suspicion on all my pricing models that assumed prices couldn't go below zero i mean surprises are generally are not good for business and they're especially not good for hedging uh so that was, that was my impression that day, especially on the options front, that, you know, I'm, I'm selling options or I'm buying options. I mean, I mean zero is generally the assumed number. <laughs> it can't go below. So it was a little bit of a shock to me as well. From the hedge point of view, it was very disruptive because
2: uh, hedges are liquidated pro rata, either, usually by TAS. And there was an enormous amount of TAs that traded that day, a very high number, over 77,000. And instead of having a positive number, they had a minus $37 number. And uh, th- this is like one-thirtieth of the hedge. Moreover, I was told that up to 70% of the 12 billion barrels produced every day are priced on a monthly average price. And they had to figure in a minus $37 price. So that, that like destroyed the economics for one-thirtieth. Of hedges of uh, of producers, it's it's just an amazing disruption that occurred.
0: Okay, thank you. So, what do you think should have happened then? And um, because you know the argument is that prices, you know, the, the the industry was facing the biggest demand shock it's ever had. It had lost. Um, You know demand had gone from sort of 100 million barrels a day down to 70 million barrels a day storage tanks were full or or getting full um and and people really were in the physical market thinking about having to pay to get their oil taken away so isn't it right that the futures market also followed that trend doesn't that show that things were working as they should have been
2: well uh i kind of disagree with that actually violently i mean Yes, we believe in free markets, but you know, free markets are not an, an economic suicide pact. In fact, this is a federally regulated marketplace where it's in, intended to be a, a, a model, a, a pure competition model, where no one can influence prices. So it doesn't serve a purpose to have our, you know, market trade from minus eighteen dollars to minus forty dollars in the last five minutes, where it, it where the market's being settled, and the next day settlement price of ten oh one proves that this was not necessary.
0: Mm-hmm. So, what do you think could have been done differently? Then, what what do you think went wrong? First of all,
2: well, first of all, announcing. Allowing prices to go negative was something that never had been uh, announced until April 15th, and, and very stealthily, I might add. But the announcement during the day was, uh, was an admission of that the, the mark, that the CME had not adequately protected the marketplace by raising margins enough, by managing open interest of, uh, in the front position, to, lim- to the limits of uh, front position, and to alerting their FCMs, to, to manage the accounts to prove that they had that they were long and could accept delivery by having a, a storage in cushion. By available storage, I mean firm storage
1: and cushion. The exchanges could also have, have done something during dur- while this was occurring. I mean they, they could have limited trading to liquidation only. They could have stopped trading. They could have stopped trading for half an hour or whatever they deemed fit to regain an orderly market. Uh, have everyone step back and say, OK, what's going on? Uh, I think that would have been a, a completely reasonable thing to do and something that has precedent in other markets. Uh, instead the, the exchange issued this announcement and then just stepped back and did nothing. Uh, and, and, you know, I don't think that that was, uh, something that was, uh, something that an exchange should do, should properly they should probably properly manage trading during the day, and they did not.
0: Okay, so to pick up on a couple of points there. So first of all, on the announcements that the CME made, um, they did put one out. The first one was on April the 8th, um, which were, went out to clearing members, CFOs, and back office managers. And that was letting people know that if prices drop below $8 a barrel, then they will switch their options pricing model um, into the Bachelier model, which can... Mm -hmm. Um, which can compute negative prices so they did put that out on April the 8th and then that was followed up on the 15th by an advisory to clearing firm members which was saying that they could if they wished um, test the the CME had put had made a testing environment for anyone that wanted to test negative prices so are you saying that you you don't feel those two announcements were enough
2: well, clearly they weren't nearly enough. Virtually no one ever noticed them. I mean, it was shocking to traders when the, the intraday announcement came out. Plus, you know, for we've been trading crude oil since 1983. Negative numbers were never discussed until April 8th.
1: It, it really is. It was a shock. You know, those those, those announcements were, as it said, were to clearing members, back office personnel, CFOs, and things, and and support people of that nature uh, you know and it was incumbent upon them to notify the people who are actually pulling the trigger that is the traders and i can tell you as a matter of course in a in a large trading institution that does not really take place on a on a real-time basis uh, you know unless the the back office feels that it's a uh an extremely important uh thing but at that point you know prices weren't negative And I'm pretty sure, I mean, the back office and CFOs get a million announcements from the exchanges concerning who knows what. And, you know, they don't really relay them to the people on the front line uh, as, you know, as as, as necessary. Uh, The fact that certain, uh, as far as the testing environment goes, the fact that certain uh, FCMs had problems uh, entering trades, you know where people are entering trades that they didn't know they were entering or values that they didn't know they were entering uh proves that the you know <laughs> apparently a lot of people didn't get the message i mean the fact that prices could go negative is something that should have been shouted off the rooftops uh no one should have been in any doubt that that was going to be the case and apparently a lot of people were in doubt
0: yeah okay that's interesting so whose responsibility would you say it is to sort of shout that message out uh, you know, could firms learn something from this about the commun- communicating some of these obviously very important advisories to the, you know, internally? Is that something that, that didn't happen as well by the sound of it?
1: Uh, I think there's probably enough blame to go around. Uh, no one is, you know, looking for a villain here is always kind of a, in trading disasters. There's never one author. There's usually several different, you know, there's there's a whole bunch of of events that all occur at the same time. Uh, but yes, I think the internal communication, if it were me a trader and and I found out that you know that they had gotten this message, yeah, I'd be pretty upset that you <laughs> why didn't you tell me? Uh so uh yeah, I guess the internal communication could be better. The CME could be better at communicating with the FCMs as to what the FCMs have to do, that this is an important message. Uh, you know, in the back office, I think sometimes doesn't have the facility to realize that it's an important message. Will this have a significant impact on the traders, on the positioning that goes on, or on retail clients? If that's the case, then they have to communicate it. But sometimes they don't have the facility to even know that. So, yes, the communication could be improved greatly. What do you think about that, Henry? Well,
2: clearly the communication wasn't received by the industry or you know, the oil industry and, and the hedgers that were participating in the market because uh, no one understood or thought that it was possible. Moreover, it was never discussed, you know the rationale, the economic rationale for negative prices. I mean, it, it's a discussion that's never happened before. It's only after the fact and uh, the damage is done.
0: Okay, so if the notice had come out loudly and clearly, however, it it had been sort of um, sent around the marketplace, but had the marketplace heard that message earlier, how would things have been different, do you think?
2: Well, I think that uh, the FCMs, the Futures Commission merchants, should have uh, alerted their accounts and actively managed them and, and insisted that they get out of long positions if they couldn't take delivery. And they should have demanded that they prove that they could make delivery, both from hedge accounts and spec accounts. And spec accounts, the margins should have been increased much more dramatically, both by the the, uh, the CME and the, the Futures Commission merchants, which were allowed to increase margins significantly,
1: whatever they wanted to, above the CME requirement. But let's just say for the sake of argument that you're right, Stella, that that the CME issues this notice and it's well communicated to the traders and now, now prices can go negative and everybody knows it. Well, suddenly you know you don't have, and, and let's just say prices are trading 11 bucks at the time. Well, suddenly I'm um, long, I don't have $11 worth of downside risk that I assumed anymore when I put all these hedges on it or trades on. I had infinite downside risk. So <laughs> there would have been a bigger impetus I think to clear out of the near date contract than actually than actually took place for the simple reason that I thought prices couldn't go below zero. Well, all of a sudden, I know it's like okay, I got to re you know rethink, but this this whole strip of positions I have on. So, so the value
0: would, at risk calculations the, would have been very different.
1: Exactly. So there would have been a lot of risk mitigation that had taken that would have taken place not on that day. Uh, it would have been a lot more orderly getting out since people were fully informed but you know the biggest risks are things that you don't know uh, are going to occur uh risks that you are informed of in advance rarely have as big an impact it's just a complete shock i mean covid caused the turmoil in the markets because it was kind of a shock it came out of nowhere i remember in during the turn of the century. The big risk was that all the software was going to get screwed up and everybody's power grid was going to be shut off and we'd be living in 1810. Uh, That was well publicized. Nothing ever happened because people were prepared for it. Uh, And those are risks risks that are well publicized, I don't really worry about. I worry about stuff that I just don't know about. That really concerns me. And you see the effect. In the aviation industry,
2: there's something called an airworthiness directive, which goes to all the uh, owners of aircraft, and it says, you can't fly this aircraft unless you fix this. There's no equivalent in commodities, but there should be, where this announcement is so important, you all have to like acknowledge that you received it and and that you understand it. And that never happened. Moreover, there was a mixed messaging because if you looked at the futures price tables that were available on the CME Group website, it showed a column Where it said high limit slash low limit. And it's and underneath the column on every month it said, every delivery month it said no limit slash zero point zero one, implying absolutely that the lower limit to crude oil was one penny. Not zero and not negative. It didn't say no limit. It said zero point zero one.
0: So that was the assumption that most people were working on, you would imagine. I mean,
2: you might not have noticed it. But it was there, and it was there that day, it was there the next day, it was there the day after the contract expired. And they've now changed it, but like, there was mixed messaging here.
0: Can I ask you as well, you've touched on this a bit, but the role that speculators played in this, um, there were some retail investors by the look of it that were in this market during the expiry, and Henry, you've got a lot of experience trading expiries, as we've mentioned. Uh, Do you think that's a place for retail investors to be? Uh,
2: Subject to the position limits and the availability of a margin, which should be very, very high for speculators. But what really happened here was after that negative announcement came out, it was sort of the revenge of the locals who are no longer on the floor. Because professional traders went in, knocked it under zero and knocked it down to minus $40. They weren't just speculators. They were Aggressive professional traders, former floor traders from the NYMEX and other exchanges.
0: I wanted to pick up on a couple of things that, that you've both mentioned. Um, Brett, you talked about um, that there could have been um, pauses to enforce liquidation of people's contracts. And um, there were circuit breakers, which went off a lot, as I hear, and um, do you did, did they work or not
1: uh apparently not and the circuit breakers are are fairly short in duration when i said there should be a cessation in trading and to me it's like uh you know not two minutes but more like a 30 minute break or something like that i mean I, honestly i haven't put super thought into w- what it should actually be the time duration but it has to be longer than just several minutes it has to be long enough So that people can step back from their desks talk to their compliance people talk to other traders do whatever they need to do to figure out what's going on and to sort of calm down uh that has precedent in other markets and it does work well uh because clearly the market was just you know markets can go hysterical and this to me at all i mean i'm used to this from when you see it in power or any kind of like thinly traded market uh and this was kind of in in the grand scheme of things thinly traded or in equity markets where they just sort of go completely berserk and haywire all of a sudden uh and it's only by by stopping that it's sort of like when you get into a serious argument with someone and then you just have to say okay we're gonna have to take a break here (laughs) these things are things are getting out of control it's the same thing uh it's only it's in the world of trading not interpersonal relationships. The position
2: limits have evolved radically over the years. They used to be like one hour stops of trading and after a dollar, that was a long time ago. But like in the you know belief in uh, no limit markets, they've evolved to be negligibly important. And no one noticed, uh, I mean, it was barely, it was impossible to notice
1: the, uh, the limits uh, to trading that occurred that day. But as far as these retail investors that I read about, you know, from like, uh, you know, that were, that had problems with the trade entry system and things like that, you know, and they were described basically as small specs, small retail specs. I mean, frankly, I don't know what they're doing involved. I don't know why they're involved in this market. I mean, are they qualified investors? Is this really a suitable investment for them? Uh, You know, evidently not. Uh, You know, this isn't a... This isn't a casino. Not anyone can just walk in and do whatever they please. Uh, And to me, you know, personally, I would say, should these people be involved in the penultimate day of a very high open interest uh, contract? No, they shouldn't be involved, but that's up to the FCMs to to regulate who trades what either through margin or just tell them liquidation only they could say whatever they want. Uh, So. No, I don't think these people should have been
2: involved, frankly. It may have been, I was shocked during the day that the, the CME did not, or the CFTC did not order trading be limited to liquidation only. That was the only smart thing to do, trading near zero or under $10 actually. But there was no reason to have speculators participating in this
1: kind of market. But again, the I think the point is that you know, many people would say, you can, you know, you can, you can get involved in this market. What's to stop them? You know, if they want to lose money, let them lose money. If they want to, you know, if they want to take on this risk, why not? And the answer, I think, is what would, you know, what Henry was alluding to before is that this is, a, you know, this isn't just any old commodity. This is a strategic a strategic commodity. It's a federally federally regulated marketplace. You know, and if, if someone is creating disorder, or shouldn't belong there. uh, You know, they have no place. There's no place there for them. Uh, They're just in the wrong place at the wrong time.
0: You talked earlier about having the marks of hysteria in it. And I wonder how much of that was perhaps made worse by the fact that this all happened in lockdown. And as you said, people might normally um, have their compliance officer close to hand, uh, you know, would, would be able to you know, have sideways looks at their neighbour and and sort of work this out together. Everyone was on their own with this thing. Do you think that made it worse?
1: Uh, well, it certainly didn't help. <laughs> uh, I mean, but, you know, if the pandemic has taught us anything, it's, it's that people can conduct business. Can, you can do your job from home and still be kind of effective. Are you as effective as if you were at work? Probably not. But, you know, trading is no exception, but within limits. I mean, when prices went below zero, uh, my first reaction as a trader would have been, if I do anything, if the, am I seeing screwy prints or not? Uh, you know, is this just some sort of screw up? And I'm worried about trading because all these trades going to be, you know, uh, aren't going to be valid. And they're going to be taken back or something like that. So, in a in a perfect world, I would have just stood back and said, you know, wheeled my chair back and said, "Does anyone know what's going on here? Someone go get someone from the back office or compliance and figure it out." I mean, you can do that via text and stuff like that, but assuming that they're around, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, just the information flow isn't as fast as it should have been, probably which you would, and this situation requires almost instantaneous communication. But the real, I mean, in my, in my opinion, that's sort of a, was a tertiary effect on, on why it happened at, at best. I mean, the real thing was, the real effect of the pandemic was that it produced, you know, there was a lot of anxiety and a lot of nervousness in the market. I mean, you have to realize that this is a period where, I mean, we saw the S&P go down 12% in one day. I mean, we saw the long bond rally 40% in a 24-hour period. So this was a period where, you know, screwy things were going on. And there was just a lot of nervousness and anxiety that all traders had been feeling since March. A, you know, a sense that these crazy moves were suddenly the norm, not just an aberration. And, and this general sense of the world that the markets had been turned upside down. So the, the environment, the pandemic, caused was created created this sort of nervous anxious environment that was you know right for something to this to happen uh you know and i think the negative prices when people look back in history and they say what's the craziest stuff that went on during that month and a half long period the negative oil prices will be in the top three you know along with various other asset classes action
0: yes yes and just finally to to wind up could I come back to something that Henry mentioned earlier? Um, you, you mentioned, Henry, that there was never really a discussion over whether prices could go negative or not. Um, it just happened. And is that actually economically a sort of sensible thing to happen? How would you see that conversation happening? Do you think it's still worth having that conversation uh, for you know, if, for, if this happens again in the future, and what who would you like to see debate it, and, and what would you like to see being discussed?
2: Well, absolutely, it's a, it should be discussed. I mean, I don't think that it was actually ever discussed within the CME. I think it, just some programmers allowed it, and people noticed it was there, and they turned it on. I mean, e- people, the economists and uh, people in the industry should discuss this. For any physically delivered uh, commodity, is negative prices a good idea? Isn't it bad enough that it could trade a penny or, or in natural gas case, a tenth of a penny? I mean, what's the purpose? Is it market clearing? Well, if you think that that was successful, it, it wouldn't, it, it, the market clearing price wasn't minus $37. It was $10 from uh, as, as seen by the, the next day's final settlement price. So, yes, it, it needs to be discussed and, and it, it shouldn't be allowed, in my opinion. But, you know, that's an opinion. So let's hear other opinions.
1: This isn't like, I mean, I, I think this this sudden decision that uh, prices can go negative was sort of a unilateral. It's sort of taken at face value that the free market worked, that the market worked perfectly or whatever you want to say. But this is a pretty, this isn't like all of a sudden, uh, you know, the exchange deciding that the limits are going to be changed or some contract spec is going to be changed or something like that. As a professional hedger, this is a very big decision. And I'm a member of the exchange or I'm trading on the exchange every day. Yeah, I want to be part of that decision. Who made that decision? Is this really a good idea? Or if prices do go negative, under what conditions are they going to go negative? So this could happen again, even though it seems unlikely, but it probably will. So can we have a discussion with actual users, not just back office people and and not to denigrate them, but you know, can we can we have a discussion with traders and things about when will this happen and what's going to happen if it does happen again? And it's not a, you know, I think that's a very reasonable request. Uh, And this is not something that should just be decided just unilaterally like it happened and therefore it can happen again. And that's that, uh, you know, so that's my opinion. To add to that,
2: I mean, you know, the next day after being down 5590 that, that day, the negative price day, the next day, the market on the last day of trading closed at 1001 up 4764. So you have the, the largest down day in history in crude oil trading followed by the the largest up day in history. And how do you explain this over the next 100 years? Because the charts are never going to have, you know, the pricing action in crude oil is never going to be crazier than that. So this is clearly prima facie, non-rational trading.
0: Okay, thank you. Well, it's been great to hear your opinions on that. Henry Lichtenstein and Brett Friedman, thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you for your time and insights. And thank you very much to everyone for listening.
1: It was our pleasure. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you for having us very much.